Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Most of you know that I survived coronavirus. Thank you, Jesus. And this is my second week back on the other side of coronavirus. I had lots of time down where I literally couldn't do anything. And most of the time, I couldn't even watch TV because I just felt so bad. And um, out of that time, I just had a, a sense, like a hunch that I felt like was from the Lord, that um, for many of us, the next six months is probably going to be really difficult. Um, I don't like that hunch. I don't want it to be that way. If it's not difficult, I'll be dancing down the aisles with you, and it's going to be awesome, okay? Praise God. That was just a hunch that I had. Um, In the book of Acts, Paul is going from place to place on a second missionary journey. And there are these prophetic type of people who, kept, who keep telling him, the Spirit's warning us that trouble awaits you in Jerusalem. One of them actually wrapped his arms and bound himself and came to him and said, I feel like this is what God is saying is awaiting you in Jerusalem. If you're a word of faith person, this is freaking you right out right now because you think I'm cursing people you need to remember that we serve the God who warns us. Paul says, I know, I feel it too. I think the Lord's saying that. And I must go to Jerusalem. I just had a sense that the Lord just wants to equip us. And so I want to call us just to pray together and to fast together. Um, You can fast from food, which I think is fantastic, Uh, You can use meal times to pray. Something I think is maybe equally as powerful for us modern people is to fast from media and smartphone use during the day, except for like essential communication. Because if you look at your screen time hours, you're probably going to see maybe a larger number than you realize. And that would be a great investment of those hours and minutes just to seek intimacy with God. And when we come together on Wednesday, we're just asking if there's, if there's something like a prayer request, something heavy on your heart or, or just something specific that you would actually bring that with you. We're going to have a place for you to post that for us. We're going to join together in prayer as the church. It's going to be an awesome time. So I know that's a little bit weighty, uh, but I'm just being honest with you as a pastor that I feel like that's what we're walking into. Okay. Um, can I pray for us right now? And then we'll, we'll move on into our message today. Let's pray together. Father God, we know that, you, uh, that you're the one who parted the sea for your people to walk through when they felt like there was no way 
out, no way through. The, the psalmist said that the sea saw you and it trembled and it fled away from your presence. And God, we know that whatever difficulties we might be uh, walking in right now or about to walk into, God, we know that you're so much bigger, you're so much greater, that even the impossible is possible for you, that you can take anything and everything and work it together for the, for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose, that you, you work out everything according to your will. And Lord, if there's refining work that you are gonna do in us, then we just say yes, because we know on the other side of that, Lord, is just more glory, more of your presence in us and with us, greater anointing upon our lives. That's what we want, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would equip us and prepare us, and we know that you are out in front of us. We thank you. Bless this time in the word. Open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're gonna continue on in our series called Full, and we've just been walking through the book of Colossians during the summertime, and if you trace the word full or filled or fullness or the opposite, empty, it's quite a journey leading us through the book. Today, we're going to get into a passage where Paul's gonna give us um, some insight in how this truth of Jesus reorders our families. Now, growing up, there was a show on television called uh, Married with Children. Do you guys know the show that I'm talking about? Al Bundy, Peg Bundy, I think it was Bud and Kelly, is that right? And it had a theme song. It was Frank Sinatra's Love and Marriage. It was, love and marriage. Love. Y'all, y'all know, know that song? It's an institute you can't disparage. So it's all about this situational comedy of the American family. And Al Bundy sits on the couch and he's got his hand in his pants right here, right? And there's always this tension between he and Peggy. Like they're always like, eh, you know, catty with each other. Their, uh, their morality is kind of like real wishy-washy. They don't have a whole lot of great advice for the kids. And it's just like kind of comedic in the reality of it, the realness of it. In our day, and there's nothing new under the sun, a disordered family is normal. I think for the first time in American history, I think most, a majority of children will grow up without having two parents in the home with them, right? It's for the first time in history that's going to happen in America. Obviously, it feels like uh, marriage is something that's kind of... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's sort of put off as long as possible. We, we, we're, we're kind of like gonna try everything else out first before we get married because we're so worried about getting married and then not working out. And in all of that, there's been a great disordering. You know, covenant marriage has been kind of lowered and, and de- demeaned and dishonored. And let's be honest, our family systems have been broken. Some of you, you have grown up in family systems where you just have so much good stuff. And you're like, man, I, I can see this trait and that character. So I love this about my family. But if we're honest, every single one of us can look back and say, you know, but there, there were some things that I think have kind of 
impacted me. Some disorder. And it's normal. And I just want to say what Paul's going to call us to is abnormal. I uh, got to go with my kids to the Blanco River in San Marcos. We went to go visit Texas State because we brainwash our children and we want them to go have the same experience that we had in college. And we decided to take them to this place called Five Mile Dam and it's the Blanco River is dammed up and it's just like beautiful place. No one's out there. And we're skipping rocks because, you know, that's what you do because that's cool. I have three boys. And it's, I, you know, I was watching as we, you know, my first skip was terrible. It, it didn't even skip at all. It went straight into the water. And I could see the, the ripple effects of that stone hitting the still water. And what we're going to read is full of landmines, full of cultural tension points. And I think that by the grace of God, we're just going to kind of like dodge all the landmines, okay? And then we're going to get down to the truth. And what Paul's going to say is that all this stuff that we've been talking about, this fullness that you have in Christ, that all the fullness of God lived in Jesus, and now that fullness is made accessible to you through Jesus. You've been born again. You were dead in your trespasses. God made you alive, right? You're free in Christ. He has all this good stuff. And it's, it's that heart change that's like the, the stone dropping and it just has this effect on everything. It touches every part of our lives. We have a saying that we exist to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the good news of Jesus, the gospel, into all of life and all the earth. It has ripple effects. And we're going to look at the ripple effects on our family systems. Are you ready? No, you're not ready. Jesus, help us. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, Chapter three, verse 18 of Colossians. Oh, and by the way, uh, I didn't make any slides for you this week because I was bobbing in the Blanco River with my children. So I love you, but I just would rather do that sometimes. Um, Chapter three, verse 18. Uh Uh-oh. You're already nervous. I can tell. You've already seen the first couple words. You're like, oh, Jesus. Here's what Paul says. Wives, submit submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. That could also be translated as don't embitter them. Okay? Okay. Children, we all love this one, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Chapter 4, verse 1, masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master 
in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Now I know you're thinking, Chris, this is old fashioned stuff. Right? I mean, that's what we, talk, we call this. You, you might say, this is backwards. This is irrelevant. It is, this is culturally bound, meaning this was for that time and place only, right? You know, none of this applies to us. It's misogynistic. It's, it's just, it holds people down. Get rid of this stuff. Don't talk about it. What I want us to consider is that maybe what we've experienced that makes us kind of recoil back from what we just read was disordered. And it wasn't what Paul is describing, okay? Could it be redemptive? That's what I want us to look at together, okay? Could it be redemptive? And remember, one part of a whole letter, okay? Remember the rock and the pebble. The first thing that I think we need to understand from the passage is that a disordered home life, he's talking to a whole household full of people, a disordered home life sabotages our experience of the fullness that Christ intends for us. A disordered home life sabotages our experience of the fullness that Christ offers us, okay? That's the first thing I want us to consider. There's, there's a verse that we often will quote to one another, and the verse is uh, from 1 Corinthians 14.33, and it says, God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but he's a God of peace, and so when someone's confused about what to do with their life and the decision that's in front of them, we say, no, 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 no. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And we use that in lots of different ways. The context of that verse is that he talks about order in the church gatherings that had gotten a little bit crazy in Corinthians, okay? And he talks about male headship in the church. That was the context of what Paul is saying. And here's where we all go. Okay, great, here we go. The husband is the king. The wife is the doormat. The kids should be seen and not heard. Right? That's what you think of. Yeah, you, you, you think of, maybe some of you think of some home life experiences that you had or your parents had or your grandparents had and you're like, that is not, uh, that doesn't seem life-giving. That doesn't seem godly. And you know what? You're right. That's not godly. And that's not what Paul is describing, and what I want us to do is just look at each person that Paul's going to address in the household, okay? Let's see, could it possibly be redemptive? The second thing, as we do that, is I want you to consider this. Everyone contributes, everyone contributes to either the order or the disorder 
of the home life, okay? Everyone contributes to either the order or the disorder of the home life. So we see that Paul talks to all these different people in the house. Now, I'm not talking about uh, how disorderly the stuff of the household is. I know you know that, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're the clean and tidy one, I just want you to glare at the other members of your family right now, okay? Because they're contributing to the disorder of your house, right? Maybe some of you are having that conversation at home. Not what we're talking about. Paul's specifically talking about our relationships as the family. So, wives, he starts with you. So we're gonna talk about wives. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. The S word. Now, I've done wedding ceremonies where they distinctly asked me, hey, I don't know what passage you're going to use during the sermon, but if you could skip the whole wives submit to your husband's part, we'd all really appreciate it. I really have had people ask me that because we're not sure what to do with the S word. Let's talk about what the S word means. First of all, you need to know that submission is all over the Bible from beginning to end. You need to know that Jesus lived in perfect submission to the Father. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. I only go where I see the father going. He was a man who was God-man who was living in submission. As Christians, we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The church is to submit to Christ as the head of the church. As believers, we are to submit to the leadership of the church. It's all over the Bible and specifically in a family system, Paul says to wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Let's talk about what it means. Submission is entrusting myself to God by entrusting myself to others. Do you see what I said there? I'm entrusting myself to God by entrusting myself to others. In every person that Paul speaks to, he says, look, here's the, here's the order, here's the, here's the distinction, here's the structure, here's the authority uh, of the family. In wives, I want you to submit yourselves. You're going to trust me, trust God, by entrusting yourself to your husband's care and leadership, Okay? That word in the Merriam-Webster dictionary means to yield to governance, to yield to governance or authority. I think that's a great illustration of submission. When you're driving and there's a yield sign, you're going to slow down. You may not have to stop. You're going to slow down and look, is, is anyone coming? No, we're good. Zoom on through, 
right? And in a relationship, when you're submitted to someone, you're going to look to them and say, do you, are, are you, um, are, are, is there anything that I need to consider? Is there, is there something that I'm not seeing here? Is there, is there a stop that I need to make? No? Good. Keep on going. It's a yielding to authority. The Greek means to yield, to subject oneself, or to obey. In, in a military use, it was to arrange uh, in a military fashion under the command of a leader. But Paul's not using a military fashion. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden, a voluntary attitude. And this is where Paul says, wives, submit yourselves. Okay, rule number one of submission, you never command or demand anyone to submit to you. you do you hear what I say? We don't command or demand. So if you're a husband and you're like, oh, look, wives, you know, you're nudging your wife, submit, submit to me. No, no, no. Paul says two wives he doesn't say to husbands, husbands, tell your wives to submit to you because that's honoring the Lord. No, that's not what Paul does. By the way, in Roman culture, that's what Paul should have done. So Paul's being very countercultural at the moment. He's saying, he's speaking to you women, which Christianity, by the way, is the force that has elevated women in the world over history. He speaks to them as equals and says, you know, you are equal co-heirs with Christ. You are recipients of the promise. This letter is for you. Wives, submit yourselves. Your, your choice, your voluntary attitude. Submit yourselves as unto the Lord. He does something counter-cultural. He breaks the norm of the day. And he writes to them. Now, this is different also because in a Roman household, the wife would have been commanded to obey. Obey their husbands. That's not what Paul says. He says, yield in submission. And he appeals to their desire to honor Jesus. It's the ripple effect. Another thing that submission isn't Submission is never saying one person has more uh, gifting or intelligence or competence because all the husbands know if that were the case, wife would be the head and you would be the tail. Amen? Let's just be honest. I looked at my wife for all kinds of wisdom and I mean, she's so gifted. And if gifting were the issue, she would be the head and I'd be the tail. Okay? And this is the order that God gives. And I think it's important for us to understand that it's not about those things, that headship is bestowed by God, that God sets it up. And here's why I think that's important for us to understand it. A husband can never view himself as superior because he knows that submission or headship are not about being superior. It was just what God said. And so he can never view himself that way. A wife can know that um, this is not, um, 
I, I can never view myself as considered inferior in, you know, in the Lord because I'm not the head, because it was never about who was inferior, who was superior. It was always about this is the Lord's plan for our human relationships. And that's important. The gospel has a way of humbling us and raising us. It's the message that I am more broken and sinful than I ever dared to admit, more than I even realized. You you know that, right? When you came to Jesus and you said, Lord, forgive me, what you had in your mind was about this amount of like the stuff that you knew you had done that was wrong. (laughs) And then the more you grew in Christ, you're like, oh, there's a whole like, you know, multiple layers of things underneath all that stuff. I'm more broken and simple than I ever dared to admit, but I'm more loved and accepted by Jesus than I ever dared to imagine. It humbles me and it lifts me. And when both people in a marriage have been born again in Jesus Christ, the power struggle's gone. Because we can both say, I'm more broken than I ever dared to admit. And I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared to imagine. So, wives, just know this is, this is the Lord's order. Secondly, husbands, let's talk about you for a minute. Let's just kind of put the crosshairs on the husbands for a second. He says, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them or don't embitter them. Okay? Now, you're like, whoa, whoa, where's the submit word for this guy? Who's he submitting to? What's going on here? You need to understand that word love is the word agape, not eros. Eros is the physical attraction, physical intimacy. Praise God for that kind. Amen. Any married people in the house? No? Okay, well, that'll be my next sermon. Getting the passion back. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that next week. Um, He uses the word agape, which would have been clear for them to know that this is the God kind, the Jesus embodied, self-sacrificing love. It's the kind that says, I'm going to lower myself because it's not about me. I'm going to make it about you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to, I'm going to lay down my life to love you. Husbands, If you are not embodying an attitude of humility towards your wife to lower yourself to say, I'm going to put everything else on hold to make sure that you're taken care of and you're loved, then we are living in disorder. And probably what's going to emerge is a major power struggle in our home. Because it's really hard to yield to, to submit yourself to someone who does not have that attitude towards you. So husbands, Paul's speaking to us and he's saying, look, if you, born again in Jesus, embody Jesus' love to your wife. By the way, if you're single and you're like, this isn't, isn't for me, oh yes it is. Oh yes it is. 
Another side note, the order of the family is a husband and a wife. Not a husband and a husband. Not a wife and a wife. God designed a covenant between a man and a woman. It was his institute. And we are to live in the order that God gives. He says to these husbands, don't be bitter. Some translations say, don't treat them harshly, which by the way, in a Roman household would have been very, very normal. In fact, there are uh, tombstones from this time period for Roman men, and every now and then you find one, and it says, he treated his wife with kindness. That's what was said about the Roman man. It was one of the things that they noted about his life, and that would have been very notable because a wife would have been considered just slightly above property. So again, Paul's being counter-cultural as he speaks to men and says, lower yourself and serve her like Christ served you. And again, he appeals, appeals to our Christ-likeness. Kids, oh, parents, we just want to keep this verse in our back pockets at all times. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, notice Paul doesn't say in some things, right? We know that. Obey your parents in some things. He doesn't add, like, when you feel like it. He just says to children, obey your parents in everything. And again, notice that Paul speaks to them as equal recipients to the letter. The word obey means to obey. It also carries with it this idea of listening and heeding. I think that's important for us because as we age, our relationship with our children changes. And as you are, uh, you know, uh, if you're a six-year-old, it means like simply mom said, don't throw the rock, don't throw the rock, okay? When you're 16 or 17, it's like, we're going to talk about the issues in your life. I'm going to listen. And then I'm going to give you advice and you to obey me, to honor me as your parent is to listen and to heed the advice that I'm giving you, right? To obey your children in everything. And he says to them, look, children, those of you that are born again, this pleases the Lord. He appeals to their desire to follow Jesus. And it's one of the big 10, it's the first to come with the promise that says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land meaning God promises these things to you if you will honor your parents. Parents, do you think that your children's willingness to obey you or disobey you adds or takes away from the order or disorder of the home? Do you think that's a true statement that everyone contributes Paul doesn't say, parents, make sure your kids obey you in everything. Get them. Paul speaks to the children. He appeals to them directly. I think that's an important thing for us, for us to, rem to remember in this passage, okay? So, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Dads, 
I don't know why. He doesn't say mothers don't exasperate your children. There's something about us as dads. We have this sort of capacity to exasperate. That would be to uh, basically to provoke our kids to anger with the way that we treat them, the way that we talk to them, maybe the way that we joke around them or perhaps joke at their expense, that it discourages them and it fills them with anger. And so he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. We are called to appropriately discipline our kids, but never to exasperate our children. I, uh, I know our kids all have different personalities. Some of them, when they are corrected, can be like, okay, I'm sorry. Some of them be like, I'm the worst person in the whole wide world and everyone hates me and I'm just, you know, that's just your person, that's their personalities, okay? I have three kids and I see all the different types of personalities in my kids. And as fathers, as parents, there's a nuance that we have to understand for each child. Because sometimes how we approach that child has a way of just creating this anger inside of them, this almost self-condemnation. And as a dad, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm learning how to navigate that. And I just wanna say that is real. We have to learn how to navigate our kids. He talks to slaves. Now, why would he talk about slaves? In a Roman household, it would have been fairly common for them to have slaves in the home. Was it the same kind of slavery that we have experienced in America? No, not really. Was it hard? Were people harsh to their slaves? Did they mistreat them? Absolutely. And that's kind of why Paul is addressing them. Is Paul condoning slavery? No. Paul speaking to real people at a real place in a real time that have real things that they're trying to sort out. And so Paul speaks to their realities, and in this cultural moment, they are considered property. And guess what? He speaks to them directly and says, you have an inheritance from the Lord. You are equal with all of God's people, even though you're living in a very difficult situation. And in the midst of the difficult situation, lift your eyes to heaven and serve as one who wants to please the Lord, not as one who wants to please people. It's crazy that uh, there were about 13 million people, we think, were captured and sold as slaves between the 15th and 19th century and right now, there are 40.3 million people living in slavery, in modern forms of slavery today. So it's not irrelevant for us in the midst of our time period. So, slaves were drawn to Christianity. They, they, they wanted the freedom and the equality and the eternal life of joy, peace, happiness that Jesus offers to all people. And so he has to address them because they're in the church. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that just because you're in an evil institution doesn't mean that you can be evil. That's kind of what Paul says to them. 
If, even though you're in an evil institution, don't be evil because there's no favorites in the Lord. And if you will just honor the Lord, guess what? He's gonna, he's gonna honor you. Now, for us today, we don't have that cultural thing happening, praise the Lord, okay? But I think there's something for us as employees and employers and maybe managers or wherever you are on the org chart, there's something in that for us to say, look, look, we are to work as those who serve Jesus. Not just when people are looking at us, but like at all times being diligent in what God has given us to do. So Paul speaks to all these people. He, he takes masters and he humbles them and says, remember you have a master in heaven, and there's no favorites with him. <laughs> he speaks to wives and husbands and children and slaves because everyone contributes to the order of the household. The last thing for every one of us, the full life is vitally connected to entrusting myself to God by entrusting myself to others. That's, that's part of the full life that God has called us to. And our submission is rooted in trust. Some might say, I trust God. I don't trust the institution of marriage. I don't trust my spouse. If I give them an inch, won't they take a mile? There's no way I could sacrificially love my wife like that because she will walk all over me. She will take advantage of me. I don't trust her. And what we're basically saying is, I trust you, God. I don't trust your instructions to me in your word. And I just want you to hear this because I believe this is what the Lord would say to you. If they take advantage of you or mistreat you or use your obedience to me against you in their own benefit and to your detriment, then I will hold them accountable for that. But I'm holding you accountable to what I'm calling you to do. I have no favorites. My favor rests on those who will trust me and obey me. And that speaks to every single one of us. Will we entrust ourselves to God by entrusting ourselves to others? You see, God's ways and his word and his person are inseparable. And wherever we refuse to walk in God's ways, we are cut off from the fullness of life that God offers to us. I know you think Jesus paid it all. He died on a cross for me. And he's just going to wave this magic wand over my life. And he's going to bless me because he, he loves me and, and he died for me. And yes, you're fully forgiven in Jesus. But any place where you refuse to obey Jesus, 
you are cut off from his blessing and favor. It's not going to produce the fruit you want. I promise you. So I want to encourage you as the people of God to hear the word of God and to say, yes. May the, may, be, may the ripple effects of a brand new heart touch every part of me, including my family system. Last thing, I promise. It's not too late. Wherever you are, if you've been married for two months, two years, two seconds, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, it's not too late. One of the things that happened to me on, uh, during coronavirus is I had a lot of blood tests. You know, they come, you know, take your blood like every three seconds in the hospital. They would test my blood. And when I was being discharged, I said, look, there's only one thing we're worried about is your liver numbers are off. She said, it's not uncommon. COVID does weird things to our bodies. And so I have this like constant sort of dull pain right here in my liver. And I went back recently, got another blood test. My liver numbers are still off. And so we, I got home from the hospital and I had like, how do you eat to like help your liver? And so now I'm the guy who reads the labels Okay, it's annoying. I go to the grocery store and I'm like, everyone is so frustrated because I'm sitting there and I'm just reading labels. Like how much fat is in this? How much sodium is this, right? Because I'm learning how to make some new choices and they're not habitual for me yet. I just went on out of town and guess what? I probably did some damage to my liver because I, I did not eat the way I was supposed to eat. <laughs> but I'm learning how to make some new choices and eventually I'll know how to like, you know, without reading all the labels, like it's gonna get a little bit easier. And I just wanna say, wherever you are, maybe this has kind of touched on a nerve for you. And there might be some, an awkward period where you're like, um, this is not how I would have ever responded to you before, but I'm going to either yield or I'm going to sacrificially love you in this moment. I'm gonna put everything else to the side. And I know this is awkward because I've never done this before in our marriage, but ha here I am. And it might be kind of awkward. And you'll have to make some different choices and you'll have to read the labels. But eventually, there'll be a reordering of your life according to God's order and the fruit on the other side is life and more life and more life. It's really, really good. It's really redemptive. So wherever you are, it's not too late. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.